You've been looking pretty good these last few weeks, man. Yeah, I got a, a secret stash of the stuff in the mail. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got the Caldera Lab stuff too, huh? I did get it. Dude, this is some great stuff, man. It's a three product regimen. Um, you can go to their website and check the, uh, the third party results yourself. You don't have to believe Ray or I, but we've both been using it. It's great stuff. The three product regimen of the good, the base layer, and the clean slate. People who have used it are experiencing smoother and healthier looking skin. It's really great stuff. Go over to calderalab.com and use promo code deluxe for 20% off. This is a great deal, Ray. Yeah. Look good, feel good, live good. That's what I always say. Absolutely. Calderalab.com. Use promo code deluxe for 20% off of your entire order. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, he's one of the last of the dogmen, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not much, buddy. Uh, prior to that little intro here, I'm just looking around my room, uh, seeing if there's any quotes. I always like to give you a new uh, intro. And uh, that was the last thing that I looked at, the last of the dog men that was signed by uh, our <laughs> guest, Tab Murphy. Nice. Right. So uh, what, what's going on, buddy? So we just had another incredible interview. We, we're not even, we're not even going to pretend like we didn't just talk to this guy because that's silly, right? Yeah, it's silly. I mean, we do it every week, but that's that's the shtick. We've talked yeah, about that. it before. Yeah, that's the shtick. But we just talked to Tommy Lee Driver who is amazing and a lot of fun to talk to and hopefully comes back because he was fun. And, and, you know, Casey really was insulting, but you're going to have to listen to the interview to, to find out where. Nah, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. No, Tommy was a great dude. Uh, I met Tommy on the set of Roseblood Friday, the 13th, a fan film directed and written by our buddy, Peter Anthony what a great dude i didn't even know like some of the stuff that we talked about i mean you know i was pretty familiar with uh some of the things that tommy's done you know just in the conversations that we had on set and uh at the premiere of roseblood but very interesting conversation very interesting guy check it out right after this quick house cleaning we are a part of the deluxe edition network 
You can find all of the other great shows over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. And the podcasts of the month this month are... If I'm not mistaken, that would be the Barrel-Aged Chicks and Deep Dark Secrets. Yes, you are correct. Barrel-Aged Chicks, the sister show of Barrel-Aged Flicks, and Deep Dark Secrets talks about the uh, the death fetish predators out there on the internet. Uh, it's a very... It's a deep, dark podcast, Ray, but uh, highly recommended. They're doing a great thing, exposing these fucking creeps. Mm-hmm. So check them out. And you can find us over on Instagram and Twitter at Deluxe Edition Pod. And Ray is handling everything over at Instagram. I'm trying my best at Twitter. It's a lot of work. <laughs> All right. Let's see. You can find us over at patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over there and you can find all of uh, our shows unedited and uh, you can find them immediately following the show posted over there. Or you could buy a t-shirt over at whatamaneuver.net slash collection slash deluxe dash edition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's see. This week's episode is brought to you by Caldera Lab, Ray. Head over to calderalab.com and use code DELUXE for 20% off. This is really great stuff, Ray. Uh, make sure everyone, uh, you get this stuff before Father's Day. Your dad needs a gift. Head over to calderalab.com. Use promo code DELUXE for 20% off. That is correct, because if you want your dad, you know, you probably are like everybody else and your parents are divorced. You know, he wants to pick up younger chicks. He's going to have to knock 10 years off his age. You can do that with this stuff. It's that good. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, Ray's been using it. He's actually 75 years old. That's right. So he looks pretty fucking good. Goddamn right. All right. Check this shit out. CalderaLab.com. Promo code DELUXE. For 20% off. And Ray, where can people find you, bud? Well, they can find me on Instagram at the Deluxe Edition Pod, because I run that shit. But if you want to actually have a custom t-shirt made of whatever the fuck you want, head on over to T Public uh, 10 Cent Beer Night Podcast page. That's where I put the stuff that you want. You want a t-shirt that's custom made for you? I can make that happen. Just Send me the crap on Instagram to our messenger page or whatever the fuck it is. You know, you want big titty girl pictures. That's fine. You want, uh, you know, bootleg lost boys crap. I don't care. I'll make it because we need money. And since our Patreon doesn't do a lot, I got to make us some money somehow. So 10 cent beer night podcast. Go check out some of the episodes. They're still up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Ray's been taking care of the Instagram page and, um, the bootleg shirts, Ray. They've been they've been kind of selling like hotcakes, right? Yeah. I love the pictures that you've been posting over there. I yeah. I've been getting a little flack from my girlfriend. She's what what's going on with these uh, photos of all these girls? I I I have nothing to do with the Instagram page anymore. All I know is is that you know I might have mentioned that hot chicks should be wearing the white tank top deluxe edition bootleg. 
for summer because you know they look hot in it and i was right they're buying them you can see the pictures over on instagram it's pretty cool yeah yeah unless, go get them unless you have it's a summer time unless you have a girlfriend then it's a problem that you're looking at the yeah. picture, but <laughs> no buy your girlfriend one they need one too and your mom who fuck I, I don't care get your grandma one all right here's our interview with tommy lee driver tommy hey brother what's going on dude hey i'm good man i just making sure that my lighting is pretty good in here i i could be in my studio across the hallway here but i thought i'll sit in my office <laughs> no nah, yeah you look good man looks fine what's uh what what's that behind you are those your uh military medals there behind you oh uh, that's called the shadow box that's uh it's a common it's a combination it's a cons- consolidation of all your major achievements uh in the military that when you retire they kind of capture all your history in a box and that's from your rank to your ribbons and then the flag that is you know being flown uh during your retirement ceremony and then they kind of put it into a box and say thank you for your service <laughs> So let's start there. Let's start with the with the military career. So you were that you were in the army, right? No. I was in the Air Force as enlisted for about five and a half. And then I got my commission in the Navy and I retired after twenty seven years. Wow. Yeah. Damn. What so what <laughs> made you decide to, to join the uh, the service? Well, I finished um let me see here. Why did you have to go back on that far back? <laughs> I graduated from high school, uh, turned down a football scholarship and an academic scholarship. I had two different colleges to uh, enroll in a broadcasting school so I could be a radio announcer, TV broadcaster. Uh, my dad's still active duty at the time, and he had uh, orders to England, and I went off to Minneapolis for college training. And then um, after about four and a half years of being in radio, TV broadcasting, um, uh, there's this is in Wichita Falls, Texas. I, I had a program called Air Force Now where I play a tape during whatever hour segment. And the guy that was bringing in the tape said, man, you if you want to get your degree done, Air Force will pay for it. <laughs> so that was my I, I didn't finish my degree. I, I had at least two years. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I want to get my degree done. So I joined the Air Force, became a, a EMT paramedic, uh, was on a PA program, physician assistant to be a PA. And then that program closed. And then I just worked on my master's, uh, received my master's in healthcare administration and got picked up for a commission in the Navy. Uh, running hospitals and clinics and all that good stuff. What does that mean? The the commission picked up by the commission. What does that? Well, normally there's two ways you can come into military. You come in as enlisted. <clears throat> that sometimes says without having to come out of college. Uh, that's where anybody off the street, if you will, regardless of high school or higher, you can join and become enlisted. That's enlisted uh, ranks. Um, you're not commissioned. Commission means that you have been um, given an officer role in the military, which requires a minimum of a four-year degree. And now you're the officer, just like a colonel, just like in the movie Colonel Chase. He, he went to school. 
uh, general, the general went to school, could go to a army academy or military academy school. And that means you're an officer in charge of enlisted people. So it's like having supervisors and workers. So that's the best way of putting it together. So you mentioned you an EMT for the a paramedic. Hmm? What what type of schooling do you have to go to for that? Is it the same that like a regular EMT? Oh yes, sir. The civilian um, life would have to go to, or yes. So when we go through uh, what they call uh, basic training, like six eight weeks enlisted basic training, then you get a school uh, to give you a technical code or s- skill set. Uh, mine was in. Um, hospital corpsmanship, like being a corpsman or a medic. Um, And that requires us to go through, in the Air Force at the time, um, through a program that was like maybe eight weeks long at school. And upon graduation, you got a a skill level, like a code name, like 5305 or whatever that may be. And you go to your first duty station. And as you're there, you have to do what they call continual education in that field. So in the, I was in Phoenix, uh, Glendale, Arizona, Luke Air Force Base. So everybody knows what that is. That's Luke Air Force Base. So if you're an EMT, just like the civilian EMTs, you got to take the same state requirements to be an EMT. I did that. Then you have to take uh, what they call, let's say, national requirements to be an advanced cardiac life support. That's a paramedic where you can do defibrillators and do medicines out in the field when somebody has a heart attack. So I became ACLS certified as well. So I, I had to go through all those certifications that's equivalent to what civilians have to go through as well. Wow. So so out in the real world, have you ever had to use that on somebody? Yes, sir. Like- yes. Uh, in the military, though, I did it in the military where – uh, when I was enlisted, I got to go back when I was, I truly drove an ambulance, just like, just like think of a surveyed hospital. It just runs like, like in the military. Um, we had a call and it was a drowning victim and it was a baby that was in the pool. Baby probably was less than two, I think two years old. And the mother was freaking out and we got the call and I have a driver. And then I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who's like in the passenger seat jumps out first to go assess the situation where the driver gets out of the vehicle and gets maybe the gurney or the tool, you know, the first aid kit and so on. So I go into the house, the baby's on the floor, uh, non-responsive blue. And I just started performing child CPR, finally put some oxygen on the baby, did some, you know, intubation and so on. Uh, the baby recovered and, um, that was a big deal. And then it had it, we had the baby medevaced. And then another patient, uh, a wife on her husband, who was obese, had a heart attack. He's in his bed. We get there at night, and I get on the horn just like watching TV, and I said, I got a 60-something-year-old man, no vitals, uh, you know, whatever I was saying at the time. And the doctor says, okay, go ahead and uh, shock him. So I did all that, and uh, he was probably dead for more than – I would say an hour. I, I, I'm guessing based at the time, because uh, when we got the call, you just got to still do what you got to do. And then yeah. uh, we had to bring him back to the hospital. And then that's when the doctor pronounced him dead. So so I've done two. I was the only one at the time that did advanced cardiac life support as a paramedic uh, at that at that time on the base. 
That's a that's got to be a lot of adrenaline pumping through your system when you come flying <laughs> out of that ambulance. Like, uh, first, it, no. yeah, like yeah. Well, first, first you're in this ambulance and you're not the one driving, so that guy's probably driving like a lunatic. Well, we got lost with the drowning victim. We got lost because the street oh. name there's there's oh, avenue, there's road. So when she gave us the name of the street or whatever, it, it was like you know Cascade Boulevard versus Cascade Lane or something like that, and. Yeah. My driver was like, and I get back on the horn calling, you know, I'm like, dispatch, where, give us a landmark. <laughs> the woman's in panic mode. So she goes, oh, we're near the flagpole. And we go, oh my goodness, that pole walks that way. <laughs> so you got to have somebody that's in, in control in the passenger or me, and I'm the senior tech yeah. at the time. And so you let the junior kind of guy drive, if you will. Uh, because you're going to be the first one who goes on the scene and assess the situation. And and that's why I, I, I jumped out and did what I had to do. And that's, uh, that's probably before the days of GPS and all that too, right? You're just going oh, yeah. by oh, yeah. where they tell you to it's go. It's a dress. It's a dress and, and maybe a map. A dress. You better know your environment. And a map. <laughs> See, Damn, that, man. that's why they should have had pizza guys driving ambulances back then because they had that 30 minutes or less thing, and those oh, yeah, guys yeah, 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 every yeah. street in every city. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you know, doing e- EMT stuff, I think even Casey knows this, even on the set of Roseblood, I had two scenarios where, for me, it's it's simple stuff for me. It's just I, I don't panic. I, I Oh, you got an injury. You got a cut. You got this. I just get into that mode. It's It's – and then in the in the air in the air force is an enlisted when you're making those decisions. That's one thing. But when you're now an officer in the navy on two aircraft carriers, I'm in charge of the entire medical department. I'm the disaster preparedness officer. I got to make calls on how to send, say, a response team or uh, emergency team to different locations on the ship. And that's me assessing the, you know, the the disaster that's going on a ship. I'm the only one that can make those calls. The doctors are waiting for the patient, but I can be saying stuff over, you know, we got a mass casualty on deck 30. I need a uh, battle dressing station number five to report to the uh, starboard side on this deck to go, but dip a dap a do. So I'm making all the calls while I'm looking at a board. So, and you got the XO sitting there behind you going, okay, God, okay. Driver's on board. Okay. Okay. We're good. <laughs> Cause I don't panic. I just go, okay, it's an accident. Man. That's what we got to do. <laughs> well, that's, that's why you're trained to do that. You know, yeah. I couldn't imagine how Casey would handle that job. Cause he oh, panics yeah. like his anxiety gets the best of him all the time. <laughs> Oh stop! He does not. He's so cool. in, in a, my my anxiety gets the best of me before some of these interviews. But like in a situation like that, like I've had like uh, a gas grill already, like go up in flames, and I just went over. Like my my girlfriend at the time was was panicking. She didn't know what to do. I was inside, and I just walked out and turned the gas off of the propane yeah. first. And I, I forget exactly what happened, but um, it it. You know, I just took care of it because panicking when people panic, that's the worst. That's when shit goes wrong. Well, I think for for me, it's like even when in acting for, you know, I think we're going to get to that. But even on a set that's chaotic, that's when I'm in my element. I I, sometimes things slow down a little bit. It kind of gets to the point where I could see a move or see somebody's uh, reaction before they make it. Um, 
the same thing when I was in karate tournaments, I used to do tournaments all, all my, my, my career. Um, and I would get in a tournament. I know he was going to throw a back kick. I knew he was going to do the following. I could see it because everything's motion really fast for people. And to me, in a disaster, things seem to slow down and I can actually make better decisions. I, I, it's hard to put words to that. It's just part of that gift, I think. Yeah. One of the, the hardest things that would be for me uh, to do that that job, the EMT things, is dealing with the, the children like that. Like, I, yeah. that's that's the hardest, you know, when you see kids, like any kids, uh, like dealing with injuries or, you know, cancer, like, uh, the, the one guest that we had JD Slacker, he mm-hmm. goes into, you know, children's hospitals and talks to yeah. kids and stuff like that, that shit. I, I mean, more power to him. I, I, that's, that's where I would be panicking. And, and like, if a situation with a child like that. Well, I think in, when you say the word panic, one of the things that I learned uh, doing, um, say, advanced cardiac life support, you can have a, a guy who's in his 60s laying on a bed, not breathing, non-responsive. You approach it kind of hopefully the same way. It's a life. You want to bring life back. You see a little baby, two years old, two or three. This could be two years old. I think baby was two. Mother let the kid somehow get to the back door, sliding door, and, and goes off into the pool. She pulled him out. She didn't know what to do after that. She didn't know what to do. So she's panicked. So if I'm panicked and it's a kid, I, I couldn't have made the decisions I made. One of the things the paramedic uh, training says, you don't put 100% oxygen on a child, especially when you don't even understand what the cause is, why they're not breathing and so on. I call for it because to me, the color, uh, doing the chest compressions, everything, trying to see if there's any water in the mouth and everything. I was doing everything right that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But until I put that oxygen on that kid, because I first had an ambu bag and I was doing this, and I said to my guy, I said, go get me the O2 tank. And he kind of looked at me too, like he did what he had to do. And I said, put it at 100. Um, when the paramedic that brought the O2 saw that decision, and the color went from blue to normal color. Okay. And then when we finally get it to our hospital and our pediatrician on call, he's a colonel, calls the whatever emergency hospital, civilian hospital that we're going to be medevacing, you know, Hilo, this kid. They said that kid has no brain damage, nothing. So good on your paramedics for making the decisions they made. So yeah. I is that too? I don't know if anybody would make the same decision. I'm getting that. Right. Damn man. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned rose blood. One of the one of the uh, the scenes where you where you didn't where you uh, you know could have panicked. I guess some people would have panicked. I, I think it was this scene. I, I'm just going to pop this picture up uh, over us real quick. Um, okay. It's where where you had the blade coming through you. Um, what am I right on this? Where when Jason grabbed that, was the the blade the real blade and slid it off? Yeah, when he well, to my memory, when we were doing the rehearsal or the scene, and then he grabbed it, uh, it's a real blade, and he did cut his hand to my memory. In that, if that's what you're asking, he did cut it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but he was okay. I mean, I didn't panic on that. I think the one is when I'm against the wall, and uh, Tina, uh, you know, when when General loses the gun and it hits her in the head by yeah. accident, 
and I hear I hear somebody say Tommy, <laughs> and I kind of wake. I'm pretending I'm, I'm dead. I wake up and she's like, oh, you know, and I just started to assess her like I would. I looked at her eyes. I did all the visual acuity tests that I know how to do, and and then verify. I said, give me an ice pack. Go give me this. Go ahead and da 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 do, and just get through it. Seems fun. So I thought I thought you were talking about. So I didn't even know about that that scene. Yeah, about the, yeah, when she got hit in the head with that. Yeah, when 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 Peter is fighting Jason, and he, he grabs his hand, the gun flips off his hand by accident, and it hits Tina in the head. And for real, and I I heard it. I just thought it was part of the scene. You know, hear poop, and then I hear screaming, and then I hear somebody say cut, and then. Medic or, or Tommy, I heard my name, and then I just popped my head open and just kind of walked forward because I'm not really pinned to the wall. But and then I, I just went from there and assessed her there. Damn. All right, so <laughs> let's talk about Roseblood a little bit. That's where that's where I met you. Um, yeah, sure. You were, I, th- I, I think, you were the first person that I met at the set that morning because. Uh, Joe Caban, he was in charge of uh, setting everything up with telling people when to be there and everything. And uh, my days had got screwed up a little bit. Um, I was supposed to be there, I think, a couple days prior to that. But, you know, shooting schedules were were a little messed up. And the, the day that I was there, I was told to be there, I think, at 8 a.m. And I get there and, like, you're just sitting there, I think, probably preparing for a role, like reading a script or something. And we hit it off right away. And then Joe's like, oh, yeah, you're not going to be shooting until a little bit later on. And I don't think I shot until like 4, 4.30 that afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so how did you get involved with uh, with Roseblood? You were in uh, Vengeance prior to that, right? Yes, sir. Um, well, quick story there. Um, let's see. We finished Vengeance. I met Peter. um on the chain gang, uh, I play Reggie and, um, okay. And then everybody goes and does their other projects after that. They had a great vengeance movie and so on. I was sitting in my uh, basement at the time there in, in, in Port Orchard and I was with my nephew and we were just having a good time talking and I get a call and it was Peter and, and, and I took it a call and he goes, Hey brother, I really need your help. What are you doing on this particular date of time? And I said, "Well, um, I have a, I'm on I'm on hold for a role, and I just did an audition, so I'm kind of just kind of sitting, wondering if I'm going to get booked for something." He goes, "Well, I had a guy in the movie that I'm directing and writing, and he said um, I couldn't think of anybody that could replace somebody like this character, uh, but you, because of knowing you and, and everything else." And he says, "I think you'd be perfect as Colonel Chase." And I said, "Well, let me pray about it," because I said, "Peter." I'm like in a, in a holding pattern, you know, like this. He goes, it really would help me out, brother. I said, boy, uh, hard to say no to Peter. So I said, let me, let me pray. Let me call you back. So I get off the phone with him. I called my agent and I said, um, if I get called back on this role, is it okay if I tell him that I got an opportunity on a film? And she goes, yeah, if they call you back, that'd be great. And then the on hold one was a, a film that I already booked for. And I, texted that director and I said, I have an opportunity. Uh, can we shoot my dates on a different date? And she said, yeah, we can arrange that. I'm like, hmm, everything's lining up. So I called Peter back 
And I said, Peter, I said, I checked my sources. I feel good in the spirit about it. I said, I'll be happy to do it for you. And he goes, oh, that's great. And he goes, it's like on a Friday or Saturday. And he goes, okay, I'm going to send you the script. And you start shooting on Monday. I'm like, oh, okay. So once he <laughs> sent me this script, and I looked, I thought it was a minor role. I didn't realize I was in a major <laughs> movie here. And and my first scene was the introduction of my fast team. And everybody's wondering how I had all those lines memorized in less than three days. <laughs> I think I had like 65 lines in the whole movie or something like that. But um, it, was, it, was, it was a great experience. I, I think it could be in – you know, asked and then prepping and then getting into it was was fun. That was a good three or four days of shooting. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, you did a great job, man. And and uh, we were talking about this there and and up in Connecticut at the premiere of it. Also, your military background helped a lot with yeah. you playing the colonel in the in the movie. Yes, sir. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned praying on it. Um, yeah. You're also you're a preacher, right? I remember I was talking about that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a. I call myself. Well, I don't call myself. I'm a telemedia evangelist. Telemedia, meaning I'm on pretty much every social media network. Uh, my series is called Sharing the Word, and Take Five. And then I have um, a YouTube channel uh, called TLDM Evangelistic Media Network, and it has. Christian movies. It has my sermon series on there. And then we're also on a TV channel called Galilee TV, which is a, a TV channel you got on Roku, which you can watch classic television of all types of classic stuff. And then I have a segment there. They, they put our uh, ministry on there as well. Very cool. Let's go back into Roseblood a little bit. So the okay. you've been in you've been in a bunch of uh, movies and and television shows since then and prior to that. Has there ever been a set like that, like with the? Because I've only that's the only the first set that I've ever been on, or you know the one and only set that I've ever been on. But it had such a great vibe. Just, I mean, I was just there that one day, and I still. I mean, I still talk to you. I still talk to yeah. Michael Ortiz all the time. I still yeah. talk to Peter. I just got off the phone with Peter a little while ago tonight. I mean, it was just like it felt like a family atmosphere. Yes. Yeah. Are, so are most sets is, like that? Oh, most sets like that? Um, every, every set has its own culture, its own organic feel to it. Um, I've worked with some of the people there. Uh, Sanaya was one. Uh, Peter, Jason, I've worked with them in the past. Uh, with Peter being the director, the writer, and starring in the movie, uh, I, I was more, wow, in awe or impressed uh, from going from vengeance to, to his role in that. Um, and so because of that relationship of working with somebody on another set, now he's the boss you kind of go, okay, I'm going to have to step up my performance to help him because I know the stressors could be a little bit higher now that you're directing, writing, and also starring. So it, it felt good, especially in a short notice. And I think just like in an emergency situation, sometimes, you know, the best coordination is when you're, you have an emergency going on. And I think for me, it made things more fluid I've been on sets that are kind of organized and didn't have the same cohesiveness or collegial gelling uh, that was on 
Roseblood film at all. I've been on some good sets, even just one I finished in March, and that was a major motion picture. It wasn't the same. It's different. It was impressive. A major studio movie compared to what we did uh, with Roseblood, studio movie Roseblood. There was more family feeling in Roseblood than on a major studio set that I was just on. That says a lot. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I was just talking with someone about this, about Roseblood today or yesterday. That was his first mm-hmm. take at writing, yeah. uh, not acting, but directing. And yeah. it's it's ranked as the best Friday yeah. the 13th fan film of all time. I mean, it's that's a, a pretty great accomplishment mm-hmm. the acting for, your was first, good. for your first project and acting in it also. Yeah, yeah. The acting is really impressive. Terry Kaiser's in there. I mean, you, you got to go how you did all that and put it all together. <sighs> yeah. Oh, there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the three amigos. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I got this one too. We're, real quick too, before we move on. That's uh, me and you. Oh, and, uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good times, man. Good times. Yeah. So, how did you get back in that? So, you went to school for broadcasting, right? For originally went to school for broadcasting like radio broadcasting right mm-hmm. so how did you get involved with acting were you acting back in high school too were you doing plays and stuff like that so, all through high school i did sports and acting did plays you know what, what are you gonna say acting in junior high to high school i did musicals talent shows all that stuff and when it came time to make a, a election what are you gonna do in your senior year I had a scholarship offer to the University of Omaha for academics. So that's an academic scholarship. And then I had a, a tentative, but yet kind of like a walk-on, you know, you know, they, they're going to dangle. We'll give you a scholarship. But you got to try out kind of thing at, at a smaller college for football. But I told my professors there, I said, I want to be a, an actor. And, um, and they said, okay, well, to be an, an actor, there's two places, L.A. and New York. <laughs> I'm in Nebraska. So I was like, wow. <laughs> and then <clears throat> my professor, uh, drama teacher, I always say professor now because I was <laughs> – but my drama teacher says, Tommy, you have a great gift of uh, talent, meaning you can sing, you can dance, you can do all these different things. And he says, but you got a great voice. And I said, wow. And he said, why don't you look at something like radio or TV broadcasting? Hmm. He said, that's a good way to break into uh, acting. And I said, well, how do we do that? So they actually invited a DJ from one of the radio stations to come to our class, drama slash communications class, told us all about the history of radio and TV. And it led to me to know what school to apply for. And I had to do a demo tape, an audition tape, and all this other stuff. And at the time, my parents are packing up to move to England because my dad's active duty. Now I had to turn down my scholarship for academics. I turned down an opportunity to play football. And now I'm waiting to see if my uh, application got approved for me to go to Minneapolis to go to broadcasting school. I came through at the last moment, packed my car up and drove all the way to Minneapolis, got into school after about 15 months of training. My first broadcasting job was in Wichita Falls, Texas, did that for four years, joined the Air Force, 
did some more broadcasting because somebody likes my teaching style. They say got a great voice, got into the Armed Forces Radio Network, did that for a little bit. Then I got a call to preach, and then I'm preaching, I'm teaching, getting your degrees, and I finish all that. And then just the, once you start doing teaching, preaching, doing all those things, you're kind of in front of an audience all the time because I do storytelling. And then finally, I retire, and my spirit inside was like, okay, I, I'm doing my ministry on the radio and TV. And then all of a sudden, I heard there was an open audition in Seattle. I prayed about it. I went down there, and the guy said, here's a commercial. Because you pick two areas you want to do, either sing, dance, commercial, or a scene, scene read with somebody. I did commercial, and I think a scene read. Once I did the commercial, they said you can hold it. Audience is right there. Panels on the side, and they go. So then they call me back. They said, now we have the National Showcase in Orlando, Florida. There was probably 2,000-plus people there. And you have agents all over the country. And if you got picked in any of those categories as as one of the top in that area, and I got picked to be um, commercial voice, and I did my commercial that I wrote for my restaurant at the time. And I had, I don't know, three or four talent agencies from Tyler Perry on asking me if I wanted representation. And that's where the life of full-time acting started, January of 2017. So, nice. so let, me, let me get this straight. You actually had a guidance counselor who was actually worth a shit. <laughs> 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 That's good. I like that. It was my drama teacher, not guidance counselor. Oh, okay, okay. Never mind it. Because I've never had I've never heard anyone say that their guidance counselor actually guided them anywhere. So all right, we're still we're still on par with how it works. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was my drama drama teacher. Yes, sir. Okay. I like I, that. I make sure I heard that right. Yeah, because we used to do in drama class, you could do monologues or they, he'll give a story. He'll tell you a story and you, you go, who wants to stand up and do the first story? And he'll go, okay, Tommy, uh, a cat is eating whatever, a mouse or something. Uh, walk me through what's happening. And I'll be a, just creating a story. And that was part of the training that they said that I have that natural gift of improv. And then when I did improv training, when I finally got back into acting, I did dinner theater. I did improv, you know, training. I get on now movie sets, TV sets, and the director says, I want this improv. And I've seen actors go, oh, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I just started rolling with it. Start rolling with it. There's all different kinds of improv, too, right? We were talking yes, to uh, John Ross Bowie about that. <clears throat> like, uh, what what type of improv were you trained in? Well, my, mine is really short form. It's kind of like where you, you, you can just take a story and just play it out. There's different methods in that. Uh, with dinner theater, you got a skit. You kind of have some lines. And you did that for a while. I did like six months of dinner theater. But it's really all improv. So you, you, there's that. And, and, and there's real actual improv theater training. And I didn't get to that high level. But the techniques of improv is just taking a keyword or the scene and knowing what's the variables in the scene and knowing how to be in the character that you are in to play the role. So, so basically and, what you're saying is, is they give you a scenario and they say, Tommy, yeah. you're the principal. He's going to play the kid that set yes. the school on fire, but 
he won't stop laughing and you can't get him to be serious. And That's then correct. you just deal with it. Yes, sir. Or like in radio, for example, you can't have dead air. So in radio training, <clears throat> my instructors will come into the um, booth and they will pull everything that's around you from uh, there could be a commercial that you can read, 30 second commercial. If you have the weather clip, you have a little weather clip that you can read and they'll pull all that stuff up and they'll lift the, the needle off the record. And you have 45 seconds or maybe a minute and a half. And you better be coherent. <laughs> you better have something very powerful to say. That's like improv as well. They do that all the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when you retired from the from the military, did you how did you get into the the televangelist or the the media preaching thing? So was that were you doing that in the in the navy? Well, yes, I was. I wasn't a I wasn't a chaplain in the navy. I was a hospital administrator. So, but I was always a chaplain liaison because I'm an ordained minister as well. Civilian trained, went to seminary school and all that stuff. So. Uh, I have a terminal degree, seminary degree, master's and doctorate in seminary, and I have a PhD in business. So let's play that out there. So when you retire, your your denomination sets you up wherever you're at because you're ordained in their system wherever you're living to be at a church and assigned. I also have my own nonprofit 501c3 parachurch organization. And my board and I sat down and I said, I can't keep doing these churches anymore because they're holding me back from reaching the lost. I'm like an evangelist. So we started our uh, ministry with radio and we had a radio station, an internet radio station. And after we did that for a few years, I felt that we need to expand more. And we got into social media, all those channels there. And then from there to our YouTube channel, to getting on TV and having a TV channel. That's awesome, man. Yep. Very cool. So let's talk about this, uh, this big movie that we were, that you were talking about. I don't know how to pronounce the, the name of the movie. Um, Mega. Oh, Megalopolis. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's talk. Cause when you told me about this, I, Tell us about this because I honestly thought that the the director that you you told me about I I was like I had to look it up because I thought that he had passed away I didn't know that he was even still alive yeah okay uh well this this is this is what they say the uh, cherry on your career I think you know because ice cream you you know anyway so there's an open audition in the area here in Atlanta and um, again. I pray over everything I do. So you guys know that. And I said, okay, maybe I should, I should consider that. You know, I, I saw this email come through and say, you know, Megalopolis starring Adam Driver and uh, it has Lawrence Fishburne and has, you know, all these major stars and it's a Francis for Coppola film. And it says open auditions on these dates. And it says, if interested, please respond by email for getting an invite. You got COVID testing and all this nonsense. So I said, okay. So I did. And then I got a call. I'm not a call, but an email saying your date is this day. Just bring your headshot. You'll meet Francis for Coppola. They'll ask questions. It's like just meet and greet. It was probably in the morning shift, probably close to 500 or more people. So you go through a tent and get tested. And then all of a sudden you meet Francis for Coppola. And my group that I was in, we were the last group that walked through this 
auditorium where he was sitting on a big, ta- you know, on a table with people around him. And you give your head shot and you sit down and you shake his hand and say, how you doing? What do you do for a living? And this and that and the other. I just said, I'm retired Navy officer of 27 years. And I said, I'm a podcast. And he goes, you were in the military? And I go, oh boy. Yes, sir. And then he goes, well, tell me about that. He goes, you know, I, I directed Apocalypse Now. <laughs> I, I do know that. <laughs> and, and so we start talking a little bit, and I can't remember everybody sitting around him. And then they asked, well, what's the highlights of your career? I said, well, I was on two aircraft carriers. I was also in the desert, you know, on Desert Storm, Desert Strike. And I started going, he goes, wow, tell me about the carriers. I told him about that. And then after a while, he just took my headshot and said, I think his, he, this guy would be perfect for the role of the general in this movie. And the I guess the casting directors took my headshot and said, okay. And then I shook his hand and walked out. Two days later, I get an email and says, call back for the roles of two characters. The officer said the officer, and it said the general. So I looked at the sides between two of them, and then I went, okay, I got two lines per, you know, character, two whatever lines. I said, okay. I get to the set or to the callback area, and there was a lot of people there, and some of them obviously trying out for the same role. Some of them wear military uniforms, Okay. I'm staying in my mental capacity of I'm already an officer in my head. I didn't have all my garb on. I had a T-shirt, you know, the military T-shirt color, and I had some kind of khaki pants that looked like, okay, military. And then the cast director comes out. She didn't have my head shot. Thank goodness I had a second one. I said, here you go, because you got to hand that to the director. And she, she said, you're going in with this lady here. You guys are going to be doing a scene together. I thought, okay, go in there. There's Francis for Coppola. There's all the casting people. There's all these producers in there. I think there's 12, 13 people on the table. And he says, okay, uh, do you guys get your sides? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, okay, um, why don't you just, let's, just, let's not use those sides. Let, let, I, want you to, I want you to improv with me a little bit. I went, oh, improv. <laughs> I did. I went, improv. And he says, but the scene is similar to the sides. The person comes in. And I want you, and he says to this lady, I want you to say this. And Tommy, I want you to, you know, respond. You're playing this character and this and that and the other. And the scene's going on like this. And ready, action, go. And I was waiting for her to say something. And I just jumped right into it. I went, whatever I was doing. And then finally he said, okay, good. Let's try something else. Uh, Tommy, I want you to stand over here. Ma'am, you're going to come in. You're going to be directing orders to him to do something. And then he's representing all these people around. And then you can tell the lady whatever you feel because you're 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 our, our spokesman. I said, Roger that. Did that scene. And by the time I was done, uh, he said, thank you very much. And I still, I'm still in character. I looked at everybody and I went, thank you very much. In about face, opened the door for the lady, <laughs> let her out, and walked out. <laughs> Three, five days later, I get an email and says, you are our choice, our selection for the general. And I was blown away by that. That's awesome. Two to two and a half days of shooting. Nice. Where was that shot at? In Atlanta? It's, yeah, the studios here in Atlanta where Marvel, where Marvel shoots their stuff as well. It's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. Very cool. So do Adam you think that... And uh, Giancarlo Esposito and, you know, Emmanuel and 
a lot of the big stars in the film I, I was in those scenes with. So that, that was interesting. And just listening to Francis for Coppola direct you was an experience. I'm just going to be honest. So, uh, a couple questions about this. So I, I was going to say, do you think that helps or hurts when someone shows up like dressed as the character, like in the, like, you know, you said people were dressed as like the army characters, like in, yeah. in character. Um, obviously, I mean, that doesn't really matter. Cause you were in a, you were just in a t-shirt and whatever. Right. Yeah. I had a t-shirt on and uh, pants that look like they're military, you know, fatigues, if you will, uh, they're whatever. But I didn't have a full dress. I couldn't bring my Navy uniform out. <laughs> um, sure. This is a, a general that is like almost like Joint Forces Command. Um, in my head, that's what I saw. And he's a four-star, so I didn't have that kind of guard. But pe- some people came out like they were National Guards or something. But the general to me, I just look at the character and I said, okay, if he's the general with just one or two lines of what he says, I'm thinking he's a little bit different. So I just said, okay, my bearing, my military bearing always comes out regardless of I'm doing something that's military. I have a military bearing that's professional. It's really, you know, you already seen that. So I think with Francis for Coppola, he was like, he handpicks everybody. So whatever he saw in my presentation based on all those people he looked at, over a thousand people, I'm not the only one that had a military background. Right. <laughs> I'm not the only one that auditioned for the role. So, right. you know. There you go. So do you think being on set then uh, and with your the audition process, how you said he, he wanted you to improv that scene with the girl, was mm-hmm. there improv during the movie what, or was it um, exact? Because he wrote he wrote this, right? Wrote I, I've been thing. reading about this movie. and Yes, sir. Um, there was a scene, um, I think the first day, uh, I, I'm leading, you know, the characters down the flight of stairs, like you're outside city hall, you're going down and he had me going backwards. Uh, and I finally did after several takes walking backwards and saying, come on, follow me. I finally get to the bottom of the, the steps. And I saw Adam driver's face. Look at me. Cause you know, I'm wearing really military, you know, core frames, core frames, little shiny shoes. They don't have great traction. And I'm thinking, man, if I slip and go down these steps, my first day on the set, <laughs> and I saw Adam Driver. He looks at me. He's big boy. He's like 6'5 or something. And he's watching me going, come on, everybody, let's go. <laughs> and he saw me go like, you know, trip a little bit backwards. And he kind of went. <laughs> and Fred says, Tommy, I need to have the camera seeing you. I get to the bottom <laughs> of the step. I said, sir, I said, sir, with all due respect, I don't think I'm going to leave people walking backwards down any flat of stairs. I'm a general. Y'all follow me. <laughs> You just followed me. <laughs> so we kind of did the set <laughs> differently and we went down that way. It made people more comfortable. I'm just gonna say, and so then he, he gets me to the platform or waiting for the the subway, if you will. I call it subway, <laughs> the train. And he says, uh, General, he goes, I want you to say this line. And I heard it and I said, Roger that. When I say Roger that, you already see me do that. I acknowledged what my line was. I did that line. And then I get in the car and then i have my my lines that are designated i have two lines and then he added another line and then he had me say something else on top of the original line so i took those verbal lines and i add those to my other lines and i went from there then coming out he gives me another line to say versus handing me a script that has lines in it so uh, some directors do it that way it's called oral lines and you better have them memorized when they tell you how they want to 
how they want it delivered, you better be able to do it on the spot and ready to go every time. Do you have a technique? Because we talked about this earlier on Roseblood. Mm-hmm. Like when I met you, you were reading the script probably for Roseblood because you only had three days to prepare for that. Do you have a, a technique for memorizing things? Yes, sir. Um, so I went to Catholic school. I hope this helps for people who are listening. I went to Catholic school from first grade to ninth grade. Um, there's classes you have to kind of like memorize things, you know, scriptures, if you will. I was an altar boy. And and so going from Catholic school, graduating from high school, getting into broadcasting, you have to memorize things a lot. Uh, sometimes you can't just read the news. You got to know what the news said. So what I do is when it comes to acting, I look at the sides or the script and depending on the scene and I number everything by numbers. It's always numbers in my brain is easier for me, just like medicine. I I know how many, you know, milliliters, cc's. I got to know numbers. So numbers is easy for me. Um, And so I number my lines per scene. And if it's scene one and it says in a house, then that to me is like saying the gospel of Matthew chapter five, verses one through five. So when I can do Matthew five or Matthew four, what I'm using as an example, verse four, I know what that whole chapter talks about and I know exactly what that verse is. So I number my lines first and I go, I got eight lines in this scene. And then I underline what I call cue lines for those that are saying something for me that triggers my line. So those are called cue lines. So I can underline a sentence or a key word. And, but I also know what they're saying without memorizing it. It's called read, 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 repeat, repeat, repeat. But I number everything. So when the, when the director says, let's do that line again. And I will go, okay. He just, whatever I said. So I, I, I go, and he'll repeat the line. I go, oh, that's number four. So I know where I'm at in the scene. Where other people have to go, let me see, let me, let me, where I say number four and I already know where I'm at. Wow. Yeah, it makes, I mean, that makes sense. I, it blows my mind that anybody can do any of that. Like, I, I'm not good with that. I'm, I'm just yeah. not good with memorizing stuff. So, is, is Francis Ford Coppola, is he, he's 84. Is he still, is he still healthy? Was he with it? Well, yeah. I mean, he's, he's like anybody else. I would say in their 80s, I mean, he's got his faculties in order. Um, some people don't. Um, he, he's not agile. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he knows what he wants. He wrote the thing. He directs the thing. I mean, it's my first time meeting the guy, uh, you know, working with him. And, and you know, he has a, a good AD staff, first AD, second AD, doing their job. But he knows what he wants, and you can learn a lot from it. I learned a lot just having him direct and being able to watch him with, say, these notable actors like Adam Driver, Giancarlo over here, and so on. And and I'm like, okay. And then he say, Tommy, I want you to stand right here. Yes, sir. And I want you to say it this way. And I go, Roger that. He goes, okay, and action. I go, bop, bop, bop. And he goes, yeah, that's what I like. I go, Okay, so you kind of go, wow, you, you're getting approval by Francis Ford Coppola. That's a good sign. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That goes in the resume right there. He just <laughs> right there. Yeah. Do you know the story about this movie, Ray? Uh, I do not. I was kind of hoping we'd get to the point of the what the story is of the movie. 
Well, I don't know the I don't know the actual like the the plot of the movie, but the the story be like I'm sure that eventually there could be a a movie about the making of this movie because yeah. from what I read, he started writing this back in the 70s, right? Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, yes, sir. Yeah, and he's been trying to get it made ever since then, yeah. and um, from what I read, like all of the movies that he made in the 80s and 90s were were to pay off of his to pay off his debt and to just to get money to fund this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he wanted to fund this himself so he could do it the way that he wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the IMD abstract, the IMD abstract kind of describes what the movie's about. Nope. I, I didn't get the script. I just got, I, I didn't get the sides in advance. This was interesting. I go into my trailer. There's my wardrobe. I had to do two days of wardrobe because I'm so stocky. They had to cut the uniform and order a new one. Uh, but I go into the wardrobe, you know, I got it. Okay. Here's my, lo- here's my trailer. I go in there. There's my size right there. And I'm like, okay. So all I know is my scenes. I, I can't read the entire script. So you're just kind of impressed. You're in a studio and you're looking at the, you know, the props and you're looking at all the, the scenes that you're, you're in and you're like, okay, I, I know what, I kind of know what's going on in a movie, but it's a futuristic, it's, it's like a Roman, uh, you know, back, back, back in the day of Roman empire, how you, call, you know, get the government going and colonizing everything. I get all that. It's a love story too. Um, there's, there's an insurrection going on. There's a riot going on. I felt like it was back in 1999, 2000, uh, maybe just two years ago. I don't know. It's just a lot of stuff in the movie. So, <laughs> see, see, in the day and age of the internet, they can't give you the whole script anymore because yeah. it would get every. Eventually, it would leak, yeah, and then it would ruin the movie for everyone who's going to go see it. Right. I couldn't even send. The, I I didn't. I couldn't carry my cell phone. I mean, I had my cell phone, but I couldn't carry it on the set. Uh, you can't just take pictures, everything like that. Now I'm in the in the in my own trailer. I took a picture of my headshot with my wardrobe on but I, I couldn't take pictures everywhere and so on because they wouldn't allow that to there's people who are taking pictures that got those things can get out but the right. actors i didn't see a lot of actors taking like some movies i've been on oh <laughs> yeah, I, I was on roseblood i was recording scenes with yes. my phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> see <laughs> yeah so with that, when you say you got you know, like you just got your lines, uh, are the other like do you know what the other actor is going to say? Are those lines? Yeah, th- there's there there's the scene and who I'm interacting with. I can see the it says Caesar and then it says the mayor. The mayor will say this. It, it had the whole scene and let's say I had three lines in that scene. So I said okay, but then my three lines became six lines because I got oral lines directed at. Me. Does that make sense? Sure. Then yeah, and then yeah. you you move through there. Then the next day, not, not the next day, but my second day on the set, a month later, um, I actually had uh, one line, and it became three. Okay. So is that harder, like, not knowing what – like, you know – you obviously know your your scenes and your lines, but is it harder, like, not knowing – what the rest of the movie is about, like how you're supposed to be acting for that, that scene. Like it seems, it seems weird not knowing like what the rest of the movie is going to be about. Well, I I look at it as everything has its own place. 
Um, I'm in a conference room. We're in a, say, conference room. There's a podium there. The mayor's going to go to the podium to make a speech on camera. So there's cameras and those who are playing the scenes of reporters and cameramen and so on. So in the scene, I'm the general standing right next to the mayor as he's telling the world what's what's going on. And then there's some commotion. And I say, mayor, we really got to go. And then I escort him out of the area and I tell my soldiers to lead the way or whatever I have to do. So I'm adding all that was verbally given me to what to say and do. And then that probably gets to the first day on the set when I'm going down those stairs and it leads to that scene as well. So it's like two different ways of shooting the film. So Yeah. Gotcha. So when is this, uh, this is, it's being finished now, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's been done. Yeah, sir. It's in post-production since we had the rap party probably in March. I think it was middle to the end of March. So they, they're in post-production right now. I don't think it's going to come out until probably – I'm not even guessing. I'm, next year, sometime next year. I don't know when. Sure. I, I was till 2024. So all I care about, honestly, is, is just having that movie be successful. Um, I'm sure all the actors that are in there, um, they're doing their projects. or other projects that are coming out as well. Uh, I did a TV pilot that's supposed to be hopefully picked up by Amazon, Netflix, or Hulu. Waiting to hear about that. They just finished six episodes, seven episodes. I'm in one or two of them. I think they said two of them, but I, I know I remember I did one, but the second one that was a, a lengthy episode. But so those are things that could lead to big things too. So your career just you move on when you know you did something until it comes out, and then you go, oh yeah, I did that two years ago. I remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope Francis is around to see it. I mean, I hope he is because that's, if it wins some awards, I wouldn't be surprised. That's what I'm saying. If that's the best motion picture uh, culmination of his career, that's going to be impressive for him to. Hell yeah, you know, see. yeah. He hasn't he hasn't had a movie out in quite a while, right? Yeah, like 15 plus years or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, so this, people are people have been waiting for this one for a while for yeah, sure. Look at look at that. Just go to IMDb and look at all the major actors in it. That's all you got to say is, wow. It was a yeah. $100 million plus dollar budget or something like that. Damn. You know, I make that wow. over the weekend. But, you know, it's just, just something you do when you're podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what podcasters make on an average. Yeah, $100 million yeah. weekend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Tommy, this has been awesome, man. What else uh, What else have you been working on since then? Are you, do you still own the, the barbecue restaurants? Well, yeah, right now I own a barbecue restaurant, a software company. I own an editing company, um, you know, serial entrepreneur, if you will, minister, uh, still acting full time. Um, so I got some things happening. I, I, I just got booked for a TV show right now. I'm just waiting for tomorrow's meeting on that. Um, auditioning for major commercials, major because I'm SAG now. So, so it's, 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 you know, there's, there's some work out there, even with the strike, but, you know, to get booked for a TV show. So I, I got to see how that one goes and hmm. wait, waiting to see after the strike's over what my, what my manager is going to have me audition for, because she's, she's aggressive. She's like, Tommy, you can do this character. I said, yes, ma'am. I, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. And they go, Oh, they love it. <laughs> they love that interpretation of that character. So you just got to know how to interpret what's going on and play a different role every time. 
Sure. So being a SAG in the SAG now, are you, how does that work with the fan films? Cause you also, you're also in a Spider-Man fan film that's coming out mm-hmm. yes, sir. soon, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. That's going to be popular too. The, the people on that one, uh, man, there's some medical issues with certain people. I understand that there was COVID issues. I get that as well. Uh, they're probably in post-production right now. I believe they are. Um, just like Peter's film, when you see, there's the trailer out there. There's a trailer out there. It really looks like Sony made it. It's mm-hmm. that good. It really, if you see the trailer, just just go to the fan film on that and look at the trailer. Um, they're supposed to come out this year. I, I don't know when. I could find out. But they're also busy actors and directors and other projects, too. So as a SAG, I can do fan films. Um I can't do any real non-union stuff unless it's photo print type stuff, but mostly it has to be SAG and um, that's okay. You know, I told Peter, if you want me to be in a project, just, just apply for SAG. <laughs> your project to be SAG, I'm happy to be in it. <laughs> so I said, he goes, Oh, I will. I said, okay. <laughs> SAG, what did it call? SAG ultra low budget film. SAG ultra low budget film. <laughs> What am I missing, Ray? Well, I'm. I got. I actually, this is a first because I have two real questions. Oh wow! <laughs> for Tommy. Yeah. Okay, so I usually do this segment called "Real Questions," where I'm going to ask you a question and you have 60 seconds to answer it. Okay. But while we've been talking, I actually came up with two. Okay. For you, Tommy. So Casey's going to get his little timer ready because that's his. Got it. All right. So my first question for you is, you talked about karate tournaments that you were in. Mm-hmm. When you were in a karate tournament, at any point, did the thought of doing the crane kick go through your head? Um, when I did my karate tournaments in the 80s, yeah. no. When I did karate <laughs> tournaments in early 2000 to 2004, no. Because everything goes faster than the karate kid. So you got less than so many minutes to get your points in, three points you win. I'm just going to go, and I'm done. (laughs) It was so fast, I didn't even see it. (laughs) All right. And my second question. All right, just restart the timer, Casey. I got it. I did good on that one. (laughs) That was good. All right. When you were on set with Francis Ford Coppola, did the thought ever go through your mind to try and get him to get you Nicholas Cage's autograph? The answer is no. All I cared about was I'm on the set. I see Adam Driver, Giancarlo Esposito, Francis for Coppola was to me the star of the show. And all I cared about is how you doing, sir? I'm ready to work. I don't care who your relatives are, who your mama is, who your daughter is. All I care about is how you doing, Francis? Because I said, you're the godfather of Hollywood movies. <laughs> so you said bravo, that. Tommy, bravo. You said that you're not, you weren't allowed to take your, uh, your, your phone, uh, you know, around set, but like backstage, like uh, you, you, you know, you had your trailer and stuff. How are. Mm-hmm. Um, how are selfies frowned, frowned upon back there, like with other actors and stuff, or is it yeah. kind of like, yeah, is it something that you just don't do like out of respect? Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, people had their cell phones. I can say they had their cell phones. You just can't pop it out and start taking pictures while you're shooting your scene or 
waiting to be called on the set. They escort you onto your set. Uh, people come and get you. Uh, you're you're literally sitting in the chairs. They have the actor's name on. I have the general. Uh, there's you know Giancarlo. There's Adam Driver's seat right there. So we're the cast. There's the support. You know all those over there. And, and I saw people on their phone. But when it's time to go shoot, you either turn it off or put it away. You can't just be out there when you're have a break between the you know the scene and start taking pictures. So for sure. me, I turn mine off. The thought of my thing ringing or vibrating <laughs> in a scene, no. <laughs> that's that's some really heavy improv right there, Tommy. When you have to go, hold on, and you have to answer your phone. It's the president. It's the president. It's the president. Excuse me. Uh, Adam, hang on here for a second. Yes, Mr. President. Uh, the general here speaking. Honey, I told you not to call me. I'm on the set. Frank, my open up. <laughs> yeah. Tommy, this has been awesome, man. You're welcome back anytime, brother. I love it, man. Thank you so much, guys. Blessings on your podcast, man. I, I love this. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. very much. Please tell everyone where they can find your your podcast, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah, just go to YouTube and type in TLDM Evangelistic Media Network. You can watch some TV movies and all that stuff. And then there's my sermons out there. It's really well done produced. Got over 20,000 followers, I think we have, or subscribers. Subscribers. <laughs> I get them mixed up. And it's still growing. So we're really, really happy to see that our channel is getting that much traction. Awesome, man. And I'll put all the links for everyone in, in the show notes as well, too. So thank you, man. I appreciate this. Thank you, my friends. Blessings. We'll talk to you soon, buddy.